Amen. The third week of Advent is all about joy. And I'm telling you what, I could just not come up and just listen to y'all sing uh, for a long, long time. Your voices are beautiful in here. When I was thinking about joy this week, I immediately thought about how much we tend to equate joy with being happy. How many of you know life is not always happy? But yet joy can still meet us where we are thanks to Jesus. C.S. Lewis came leaping to mind too when I was thinking about joy. He wrote a, a book called Surprised by Joy and it was really about his early life and just the way he experienced life. And I just want to read you a little excerpt. It will not be on the screen. I don't really want you to analyze it with me. I just want you to hear it. And not read it through and and dissect it and pick it apart. I just wanted to wash over you this morning. Here's what he wrote. He said, I call it joy. Which is here a technical term and must be sharply distinguished. Both from happiness and from pleasure. Joy, in my sense, has indeed one characteristic and one only in common with them. The fact that anyone who has experienced it will want it again. Apart from that, and considered only in its quality, it might almost equally well be called a particular kind of unhappiness or grief. But then it is the kind we want. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever If both were in his power, exchange joy for all the pleasures in the world. But then a confession is how he ends it. But then joy is never in our power and pleasure often is. I don't know about you, but so often I just stink at life. Anybody else? (laughs) You're like, you were going to say something profound. And I'm like, nope. I just, sometimes I stink at this. And, you know, I look around and I wonder if maybe underneath all the Instagram posts and all the fun and all the hustle and all the gifts and all the parties and all the things, if sometimes there is that moment where joy is not in our power, but pleasure is. And so we choose our flesh so many times. And what's wild about that is every time I choose my flesh, I end up, what, unhappy. (laughs) Joy eludes me in those moments. There was uh, an author writing about that particular excerpt in C.S. Lewis' book, Surprised by Joy. Her name was Amy Montravati, and she was commenting on Lewis's words, and I found her words to be just as encouraging as his. Here's what she wrote. She wrote, Lewis' definition of joy is radically different from the one commonly used in our modern conversations. We tend to imagine happiness and joy as synonyms. But according according to Lewis, they could also be antonyms. For the joy of which Lewis speaks is a deep yearning of the soul. Not unlike the nostalgia we feel upon seeing a favorite childhood object once again. 
Only, and here's where it meets us in Advent, only in Lewis's case, he was not looking backward and yearning, but he was looking forward in yearning. This is what Advent invites us to do. To remember that the incarnation happened, that Jesus Christ stepped out of the splendors of heaven and eternity and wherever that is and took on flesh to walk with us. It's remarkable, really. If I was God, I would not have done that. But maybe if I was God, I would have felt different. (laughs) But where God chose us brings a different kind of joy. And so that's where we come. And friends, this is what Advent is. It's a forward yearning for all that Christ is doing and will do. There is so much this week. Are you tracking with me? There's so much this week that can steal your joy. There's so many things this week that have the potential to steal your joy and Satan's going to try. But, let me say this to you as well, there is also only one person who can give you that kind of joy. And so my goal today is to just prop that God-man up in front of you. And it is, of course, Emmanuel, God with us as we've been Singing. As it relates to the book of Ruth in our Bibles, we come to chapter 3. Chapter 3 finds us on the heels of tragedy, right? Chapters 1 and 2 talk about Ruth and Naomi and the loss of their husbands, the loss of all that they knew, and the choice that they made to return to Bethlehem in Judea, which should ring some Christmas bells in your mind. Yeah. All right, just me. Naomi and Ruth have come back to Bethlehem, listen listen carefully, to start over where God wanted them. Listen, I wonder if there's an Advent invitation for you on this third week of Advent, all about joy, to make a return of sorts back to where God has wanted you all along. In the midst of His people, in the midst of His presence, walking in step with His Spirit. This is why the God-man Jesus came as a baby in humble circumstances, bringing joy to the world. It's why we sing what we sing. It is not just a nostalgic idea, but it brings nostalgia because it is true that it was Jesus who brought that. But what I want to look at today is How joy came out of a vulnerable risk that Ruth took. When you look at chapter 3, it's all about Ruth coming back to Boaz and Ruth offering herself in marriage to Boaz, which is a little backwards in our culture. It's not very chivalristic, I understand. Is that a word? I'm tracking with Scott here today. I'm making stuff up. But in the context of the story, there are a few beautiful things that I think will help all of us together as we all collectively say, 
no to the thief of joy and yes to Jesus. You tracking? You ready? All right. Why don't you stand with me? I want to read all of Ruth chapter three. It'll be on the screen for you. It's the only thing I'm going to put on the screen for you today. And it is the thing that matters because it is the word of the Lord. So Ruth chapter three, the Bible says this. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, it's talking to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek what rest for you? Should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize one another And he said, let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring out the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty handed. To your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter. Today, you can be seated. I really only want you to see one thing from Ruth chapter 3 today overall. And then I'll give you a few things underneath of that. But what I really want you to walk away with is this idea on this third week of Advent, in order to find joy, you have to find rest. In order to find joy, you have to find rest. The scripture is chock full of an invitation from God 
for you, for us, for me, for the people of Israel, for all of creation to rest. It is, of course, the principle behind Sabbath. It is what God did when He stepped forth and created all that we know. The Scripture is clear that even God took time to rest. And that is no different for you and I. We are made in His image and His likeness according to the creation story. And so the invitation to find joy runs through rest. I don't know if you know this, but we, as a culture are not good at rest. And so that's the invitation that chapter 3 brings us. Because as you think through the entirety of the book, there are these themes running through it, um, these transformations of redemption, but it, it's, it's this idea that we go from emptiness to fullness, famine to abundance, childlessness to marriage and children. These, these are the things... All happening through this redemption story. And this redemption comes through a very specific kinsman redeemer. The word kinsman in Hebrew is simply means to redeem. It is all about this concept that was customary for them and weird for us when we read about relatives marrying relatives and all these things and we don't have time to get into all of that today but just trust me it wasn't weird and uh, it was really really important because of the culture that they had set up that God had set up all the way back in Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and and in the Old Testament and he was leading his people in a very specific way But there's a few things happening in the text that you do need to know. First of all, property. Part of what is being redeemed is property rights. Property was huge in that culture. And so Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, you remember him from chapter 1, owned a piece of property. And the next chapter, next week, tells us that she's selling the land. Naomi's selling this land because she's poor. Because of poverty. And the Hebrew word for Redeemer is Goel, and it it refers to the closest of kin, the closest person who could take on the right to purchase the land, which would be a really big deal because that's the only way that Naomi could take care of herself. The law of God stated in Leviticus 25 that it was the duty God had called the closest relative to redeem the land, and therefore the term comes, kinsman, redeemer. Now, the law of God also declared that if an Israelite who was married died and had no children, it was the responsibility of the brother to marry the widow and have a son so that they might not become extinct in Israel. Deuteronomy 25. This was God's way of perpetuating his people, right? It goes all the way back to the creation story where God looks at man and woman and says, be fruitful and fill the earth. Life. Life is a beautiful thing. We are pro-life of all forms. And so this was God's way of filling the earth and multiplying His people. And so this is where this leveret marriage custom comes from that I referenced last week. And it's really important to this particular story. So it was... Uh, and then the, the third thing that's going on here is the uncovering of the feet, right? Like that's the other weird part in the story. You're like, of all the things... like. 
kind of weird. Like, I don't like feet. All right. But especially like ones that were walking around in the fields. But it was an Eastern custom that whoever was of humbler circumstances that was at the mercy of the Redeemer would come and uncover that person's feet and then lay at their feet as a sign of submission, as a sign of humility, and as a sign of the need for rest. And so that's where we have Ruth approaching Boaz and she's calling him the Redeemer and she's desiring salvation and she's done all the preparing that she needs to do so that she can find rest. Notice, too, that what Naomi is seeking for Ruth is not provision, it's not money, it's not anything. What does she say? This is so important to the story. She says, so that I can find you rest. Naomi was aware that Ruth had made the decisions that she made for Naomi. So Naomi now sees this need to find Ruth rest. And so she had, uh, Ruth had to approach Boaz and it would have been totally proper for her to do so. But you notice that Boaz is shocked that he gets picked because he seems to be an older dude. <laughs> and so he is honored by that request. And so she requests in verse 9, spread your wings. And that was with his garment to show a sign of protection for her redemption. And the most important piece in this particular story is that Naomi is seeking rest. And more specifically in Hebrew, a resting place. What does all that have to do with us, right? What does that have to do with God's people a couple thousand years later, right? Jesus... In Matthew 11, after, this, this is so interesting to me, after warning some unrepentant cities, right? Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. In Matthew 11, Jesus on the heels of that kind of talk, warning those unrepentant cities, says these words. He says this, he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. There is things to do, but they are the things that He will do. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What does rest look like? Push it a little farther. What does joy look like? When your soul is at rest, you will find joy. Why did Jesus come as a baby and why do we sing that His incarnation coming as a baby is joy to the world? Why is that? Because they were not looking for a baby, they were looking for a king. So much so that Herod kills all the baby boys. You know the story. It wasn't all nostalgia and butterflies and unicorns and, you know, nice nurseries and really nice, like, Melissa and Doug toys and all the things. No, no, no. Extreme humility. 
The point was joy, peace, hope looks a whole lot different than what we believe it to be. And so the invitation is very, very clear in Ruth's story as to what the, what the call is. But let me start here. What do we do in that moment when we need salvation? Whether it be for eternity, for your soul, or whether it be in the moment. What do we do? Verse 1 to 5 give us a beautiful picture of what Ruth does when she actually has no control over the situation. Ruth has zero control. She doesn't know the customs. Naomi's telling her what to do. She's going to go sit at Boaz's feet. She has no idea. He was nice to her once, but what, forever? I don't know. She's going to show up at midnight at his feet. It's going to be weird. They're going to be uncovered. It's going to be awesome. No, no. What does she do in that moment? She does two things. She surrenders to what Naomi's telling her to do. And then she surrenders to Boaz in the moment. What is that? Let me say it to you this way. What we can do is prepare. We sing another song at Christmas that goes, prepare him room. What is Advent? Advent is expectation. Advent is about preparing him room. Advent is about making space. It's about clearing away. It's about come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He wasn't kidding. <laughs> but I don't know about you, but not a whole lot of rest to be had, right? It's something that you have to make room. I love that song. Prepare him room. It's obvious nod to the inn not having any room for our Lord. Naomi and Ruth did what was proper in their culture of attempting to provide a future for Ruth, but they had zero control over whether that would come to fruition or not. Naomi's desire is to provide rest, and she's going to set her up for that. But listen, what we do at Advent, the application here for us, is that we can simply come to our Redeemer and ask for rest. I don't know about you, but that is hard for me. It's hard for me. There's always something else to do. There always will be. I think about Mary and Martha. There's always things to do. Lord, would you just tell her to do something? What does Jesus say? Mary chose what is better. He didn't say the other things weren't useful. But he did say there's something better. What we do is prepare. But what does God do? What does God do in that moment? What God does in verse 6 to 9 is provide. Ruth goes and lays at Boaz's uncovered feet. And Boaz gives us a foretaste of what Jesus will do in our life. Listen to this. Mercy, Boaz recognizes need. Boaz follows that path that was laid by God for them. Boaz waits on the Savior. Boaz answers the request for redemption. Spread your wings. Save me. And listen to me. Listen. As long as you think you can do life on your own, you're going to struggle. What, what is the real invitation here that we see in a kinsman redeemer? Is that you can't do what you need by yourself. God never made us that way. 
God made us to be in relationship with him and with each other. Right? Like if I could change the words of some of our songs that we sing, I would just change I to we in almost all of them. Because the reality is, is I can try to do a whole lot of things, but it doesn't take much for me to get off track. (laughs) We prepare him room together. We gather as God's people. In Hebrews, when, when the, when the author of Hebrews said, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, it's not because he thought you needed more to do. (laughs) It's because we are one people. Jesus prayed that in John 17. One more thing. I want to get to communion. Because that's the best part. But I need to say this because you might be tempted to make your list of how you're going to rest. (laughs) That's not the point. Because the point here at the end from verse 10 to 18 is pretty simple. Redemption is a work And it is an act of the Redeemer. Notice that when Ruth comes for salvation, when Ruth comes for redemption, she simply lays at his feet. She simply lays at his feet. And she's totally at the mercy of what Boaz will do. What a picture of us at the communion table. How do we find joy? How do we find rest? We come to the feet of Jesus and we surrender and ask for rest. I love that picture. And what's beautiful is our only work in that is to claim his promise. Listen to some of these scriptures. John 20, 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. Romans 4, 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. You see the connection. Boaz, cover me with your garment. Blessed is the one whose sins are covered. Revelation twenty two fourteen. all the way at the end of the book, blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Blessed are those who wash their robes. In what, church? The blood of Jesus. The communion table. But listen, here's the whole deal. Listen to what 1 Peter 1, 18-19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You see, he came... To die. He came in humble circumstances. He lived in humble circumstances. He was tempted in humble circumstances. And he gave his life in the most average of circumstances. You know, I was, I was reading about the crucifixion this week. And N.T. Wright said something that caught my eye. He said, because there's always been some, de- some debate. Like, maybe Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. Like, maybe he just passed out. And then they took him off and put him in the... And then he got up. Like, N.T. Wright just made a really simple point. I thought it was profound. He said, he said, you know what the one thing Romans knew how to do was? They knew how to kill people. <laughs> I was like, it's a great point. Everybody else, they were like 100% on the kill rate <laughs> in crucifixion. They knew when people were dead. He came to die. He came to be that lamb. But then he rose to life so that you could have 
rest for your soul. Advent is that invitation, friends, to rest when you don't think you can rest. And it doesn't mean don't go to your parties, because I'm really looking forward to some of them. Thank you for the invite. I like to eat. But that invitation to rest looks like this in Revelation 5. They sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed, you redeemed people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. And you have made them, we're back to vocation, you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. We come to the communion table, we come with Joy, we come and rest because we don't have to make any of that happen. Jesus is our Redeemer. And when you walk out of these doors, I don't want you to remember anything that I said other than Jesus is your joy. Jesus is your redemption. We all need a Redeemer. Not just you, not just me. We And Jesus did all the preparation for our redemption and He did all the work for our salvation. We simply come and we wait. (laughs) Our favorite thing to do. We come and we wait on Jesus. And that's why we sing and we say, even so come, Lord, come quick. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. He came a man became a man just like you, but without sin to redeem his people. This is true joy in the Advent season. So what I want to do is I just want to invite you in the awkward silence to come forward and get some elements out of the basket. We're not going to play music. We're going to do it. I want you to hear the rustling of feet, the sitting on the pews, the creaking of the wood, because I love what Henry Nouwen says, in the silence of a midwinter's dusk, right? Silence also leads to rest. And so I want to give you maybe your only moment of silence all week as you file forward and take your elements. So why don't you stand with me? When you get the elements, you can go back to your seat and then I'll come back up and we'll take them together. But take this moment of rest to pray, to talk to the Lord, and then we'll take the elements together, and then we'll sing after that, okay? Come on forward and get your, get your elements.